like to say good morning to everyone. Such a great opportunity, which I'm always honored and at the same time frightened to death <laughs> to be in this preaching place. was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. I want to say to everyone here, Merry Christmas. Thank you so much. This season of the year is very familiar to all of us, and the story is very familiar to us as well. Uh, but I pray this morning that familiarity would not breed contempt. And uh, so here we go. It was another sunny, blustery day with a teenage Joseph, newly betrothed to the lovely Mary. Strangely, her name was a derivative of the word Mara, meaning bitter. Though this betrothal may have been just another arranged marriage, Joseph had found Mary only the sweetest maiden he could have ever met. In fact, like every day before this day, he feverishly labors at his carpenter's shop on several projects. As an impoverished young man in a country dominated by a foreign power, even his meager wages are heavily taxed. As he pours sweat, forming another dovetail joint, and attempts to quickly wipe his brow before he's again blinded by perspiration, lovely wasps of lavender fill his nostrils, and he becomes aware of the presence of his one and only Mary. She is beaming and brightening every corner of this dismal workplace, but her brow is slightly furrowed. Joseph, do you love me? You know the answer to that question, Joseph responds, then quickly returns to press the wooden joint in place. Mary continues, I have something to tell you. Joseph responds by giving her his undivided attention as he now faces her, gently placing his right hand on her shoulder. Joseph, I'm pregnant. Joseph swiftly removes his hand and steps back as the atmosphere shifts to a heaviness that makes it difficult to breathe. The silence is cleft with Joseph's obvious question, stated merely for clarity. What? His eyes moisten and his perspiring now becomes a flood of anxious moisture. Mary then awkwardly adds out of sheer emotion and not informed empathy of Joseph's plight. You're not the father. Rather than thunder in response, I know, here Joseph falls to his knees as if his legs have ceased to support him. His face is now buried in his hands as involuntary muffled groans replace his breathing. Mary is about to continue, but Joseph uncovers his now reddened weeping eyes. I hold both hands up in a gesture clearly stating, no more, no more. Mary, now sobbing, walks slowly backward to the entrance of the carpenter shop. Seconds seem to become hours as the distance between Mary and Joseph has suddenly become an ever-widening chasm of confusion on one side and betrayal on the other. Mary turns to leave as her sobs now split the heaviness with grief. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Dear God, may the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25 reads, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. 
When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. I'd like to ask everyone here to gently remove your halos. I'd like to ask you to tuck away all religious dogma and pretend you are not fluent in Christianese. Be the mom and dad told by your God-fearing, responsible, and respectful daughter that she is pregnant by the Holy Spirit, according to the angel Gabriel. Be the friends in high school who notice an obvious baby bump and they approach Joseph in the locker room only to hear him say, it's not my baby, but Mary is my wife and God told me to marry her. That baby is his son coming to save the world. Be the parents of youth at the local synagogue and hear your voice as authoritative as possible, telling your children stay away from Mary and Joseph and until further notice, they're dead to us. And realize the journey of faith on the narrow way taken by Mary and Joseph was unique only to them. At a time when Judaism had no theology of a trinity or a concept of God even having a son. At a time when sex before marriage was punishable by death. Two teenagers not well versed in theology, impoverished, ill-equipped to face life as anyone is, at 15 to 16 years of age, dared to believe God and became the mother and foster dad to Isaiah's wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. And they weren't dysfunctional parents. Because God in the flesh was not a dysfunctional savior. In fact, Luke 2, 52 says, under their tutelage, Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. How? Mary and Joseph trusted God as their only travel agent on the journey of faith. And ladies and gentlemen, it is a journey, not a destination. All my life, I've been telling people to get saved, and I keep forgetting Jesus said, follow me. It is a journey, not a destination. No prior expedition experience required, just a personal relationship with God. And man, I love to talk about the fact it's a personal relationship until it gets real personal. And ladies and gentlemen, this truly was a personal experience. Notice Mary and Joseph seemed to know the voice of God so well even outside of a religious environment. Notice at no time were Mary or Joseph in a temple or synagogue when God revealed to them his plan. In fact, no rabbi acted as mentor to them throughout this whole 
process. And ladies and gentlemen, those who travel on this journey of faith have definitely forfeited their rights. Notice, Joseph immediately, even before it's revealed to him that the baby is from God, he decides mercy should triumph over judgment. As it says in James 2.13, and he does not take Mary to the public square to have her stoned. Then, further, forfeits his conjugal rights, takes cold showers for six months until Jesus is born. I mean, that is something, y'all, for a teenage boy. I'm telling you, right there, you should know God is up to something. Anyone at any time at any age, by the way, can begin this journey of faith. See Moses at 80 at the backside of a desert being called by the voice of God. Ladies and gentlemen, on this journey of faith, there is no fan club and don't expect a crowd of companions to accompany you. When Mary was clawing the hay in a barn as labor pains increased, no mother was there to hold her hand. As Joseph looked desperately to find a sharp rock to cut the umbilical cord, no dad gave him a back slap or wiped his brow. God had to empty heaven to invite a few smelly shepherds to even be their guest. When they became fugitives for their honeymoon, as Herod the Great sought to kill their baby, Mary and Joseph were learning hieroglyphics in Egypt while trying to teach toddler Jesus how to walk, and no one offered them refuge. Travelers on the journey of faith don't talk much. Their journey speaks for itself. If you notice, there is no printed word where Joseph said a word. But man, his actions, his actions spoke louder than words. Travelers on the journey of faith need to travel light. Hebrews 12 and verse 1 says, Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. While we're here, let's talk about one of the heaviest weights, religion. Ladies and gentlemen, the journey of faith is not a sightseeing tour of Christian pop culture. Mary and Joseph had no time for the latest scroll by John Piper or John MacArthur. Or the latest podcast by Stephen Furtick. Remember, Mary lost her virginity for Jesus. Joseph lost his reputation as a righteous man to be Jesus' foster dad. Mary and Joseph, by their very lives, demonstrated the greatest law. Matthew 22, verses 37 through 39. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and Greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Ladies and gentlemen, I doubt if they were even allowed in the synagogue for many years. You see, for their time, the most religious thing Mary could have done would have been to have an abortion. You see, for their time, the most religious thing for Joseph would have been to divorce Mary and leave her to execution by stoning. But our travel agent on the journey of faith says in Isaiah 43, 19, Behold, I am doing a new thing. 
Now it springs forth. Do, not perceive, do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Remember, we're not looking for the next big thing. That's not the journey of faith. That's the journey of sight. When Satan is the tour guide and the excursion on the broad road leads only to destruction, Jesus said. You see, on the journey of faith, you may need a few maps because you may venture into an unexpected territory. 1 Corinthians 2 and 9 reads, But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who loved him. You see, they started in Nazareth. Yes, they did go to Bethlehem. And good grief, I was reading about that track from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Lions and tigers and bears, oh my. Very dangerous. And then they went across a blazing desert to Egypt, but they landed in Nazareth right where they started. With the Holy Spirit as their only GPS. You see, God made the routine righteous for Mary and Joseph. Mary and Joseph taught the one who said, let there be light, his first words. Jesus, the one who set the earth, which is six sextillion tons, that's six with 21 zeros behind it, in perfect balance and gravity, spinning a thousand miles per hour around the sun, and he was taught how to walk by Mary and Joseph. Mary and Joseph wiped the mouth of the baby who would later wash sin away with his blood forever. As Max Licato wrote, Mary could say, that's God eating my soup. Joseph, teaching the one who laid the foundations of the earth how to use a ruler. Watch Joseph wipe Jesus' tears after he hit his finger with a hammer for the third time probably in a single day. And while we're here, Mark 6, 3 says, is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary? You see, Joseph died probably not long after Jesus was 12. On this journey of faith, yes, expect the unexpected, but just know Romans 8, 28 says, all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to his purpose. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't think Joseph would have been able to keep his mouth shut he would have really gotten in the way the last 24 hours of Jesus because he was so prone to protect his son, his foster son. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus chose to be a carpenter for 30 years. He only preached for three, just like his foster dad, Joseph. And following those 30 years, God, his father, would say in Matthew 3.17, with Jesus, wood chips in his hair, and dirt under every fingernail, this is my beloved son, in whom I'm well pleased. Please listen to this. Housewife raising your children, as you take time to spend with God on the run to another soccer game, God says, this is my beloved daughter, with whom I'm well pleased. Young man, as you read the daily Bible app on your lunch break, before you set an appointment with another customer needing a new roof, God says, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Teacher, you were cussed out by a student with whom you have great rapport. And at the end of the week, you find that student to tell them the best you see in them. God says, this is my beloved son or daughter with whom I'm well pleased. Nurse, you've watched this patient suffer with cancer. 
for an extended period of time. And as you prepare to start the morphine drip, you read to them Psalms 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Please hear your father whisper to you, this is my beloved with whom I am well pleased. Elderly servant of God, you see a discouraged youth whom you've never met, and you ask them their name and tell them you've noticed them. Hear God saying, this is my beloved in whom I am well pleased. Ladies and gentlemen, one of the greatest ironies in Scripture, teenage Joseph taught the Savior of the world to be a carpenter, and Jesus saved the world with the three essential tools of carpentry, wood, nails, and a hammer. God wants you, as you, right now, on the journey of faith. God sanctifies simplicity. God ordains the ordinary. God makes the daily duties divine. Remember, Jesus' most favorite method of healing was with spit and dirt. He makes manifest in the mundane. Yes, there'll never be a journey like Joseph and Mary. There's only one time that God became a fetus floating in the amniotic fluids of a teenage girl. There's only one time that God, the ancient of days, would be a slobbering baby in a feed trough. That was a unique journey of faith. But on your specific journey of faith, there's one complexity. Will you be willing? Will you be willing to trust your travel agent with everything you are and everything you have right now? Will you be willing to engage personally with your God outside of these walls, realizing he fills all space? And he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you in Deuteronomy 31 and 8. Will you choose to allow the Holy Spirit, your divine GPS, to reveal the truth of God, your travel manual right here, the word of God, to you apart from sacred places, in your secret place. Ladies and gentlemen, this summer, this summer at 1744 West Catalpa, I had my Bible open. You guys, like no other time, Without a preacher in the room, without listening to a podcast, I heard the voice of God say to me, Samson, I love being with you. And ladies and gentlemen, on this journey of faith, I thank God for Emmaus Church. But ladies and gentlemen, if Emmaus Church, if a podcast, if conventions and conferences are all that we have to draw from God, we're missing out. We are missing out. God has called you to know him, to know him on a daily basis, walking with him on this journey of faith where he speaks to your heart. Ladies and gentlemen, I was never discipled at Southwest Baptist University. I was never discipled at Potter's House. I was discipled most effectively with the most lasting results by a woman who at times was physically abusive. And by the way, I need to remind you, Mary and Joseph left Jesus for three days before they noticed he wasn't with them. 
Anyway. I was most discipled by a woman with a fourth grade education who picked cotton in Bryn, Alabama until she was 18, and her father escaped the South in the second migration in 1949. You see, I listened to her pray so many nights, late into the night, that her seven children would come to salvation. I watched my mom read the word of God and have prayer meetings with us every Wednesday night at 6.30. We were so glad when Billy Graham had those TV crusades because that's the only time she let us off. <laughs> I watched her have praise breaks at the sink as she would sing praises to God while she washed dishes. One Christmas, I watched her take a half package of spaghetti and put water in a bottle of ketchup and shake it up and she poured it in the pot, and she prayed, God, I don't have 5,000. I got seven children. My husband and I to feed. Would you multiply this? Ladies and gentlemen, we ate out of that pot till we were filled. My greatest ministry, ministry was not mission trips to Zimbabwe or South Africa or Guatemala or Mexico. My greatest ministry was in timeout rooms at Lakeland on one occasion with a 10-year-old boy named Alex who had run away from his mom who was trying to give him drugs through needle, and she stabbed him. At 18, I held that same Alex in my lap, praying out loud. And by the way, I learned that from a Dr. Hilburn at Lakeland who I saw as I looked into a locked seclusion room, laying prostrate over a patient who had been restrained. Ladies and gentlemen, I didn't see people come to Christ as I street preached with a bullhorn during the 90s on Glenstone and Sunshine or Battlefield and National. But ladies and gentlemen, when I put one scoop of ice, two pumps of vanilla syrup, three to four pumps of chocolate sauce, four Oreos, two scoops of ice cream, and I make an Oreo quicksand, and I turn around, and I say, do you want whipped cream with that? Innumerable times, students have asked this man who struggles with mental illness and homosexuality, please tell me about your life. And over a coffee counter, I've seen innumerable people Come to Jesus. You see, he wants to use you right now, right where you are. As you are. Only the devil tells you you need something more. Only the devil tells you you're not qualified. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the journey of and it's real because it takes you from Springfield, Missouri to the throne of God. Dare to believe again. Pastor Ron, and by the way, Pastor Ron, see, I'm here at Emmaus. Not because of the great worship, which is, it is great every Sunday. Not because of the great preaching, even though it is great. Pastor Ron is my friend. And 
his simple willingness to engage with me and encourage my life changes me. Ladies and gentlemen, as Pastor Ron read the other Sunday, listen to 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. But you are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. No, no one will ever be pregnant with Jesus again. But Colossians 1.27 says, To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you. On the journey of faith, you'll find that hope has a name, and that name is Jesus. And ladies and gentlemen, it's nothing but the humor of our travel agent that for those who choose something better than sinful explanations, our destination is a city where concrete is refined gold and asphalt is diamonds. It's just his humor that the gates of the city are made of pearl. And by the way, the pearl is the only gem made of suffering. And we make it into heaven because, yes, our fellow traveler and the ultimate travel agent, Jesus, will be the only one beyond those gates with wounds. And that's how we'll identify him. Ladies and gentlemen, so many times I'm standing at the door greeting on a Sunday morning. And before I walk into this church to worship, I see special friends of mine who minister to their children. I see special friends of mine. I know your life. And the glory of God is all over your face. Ladies and gentlemen, Mary and Joseph, I want you to think of this, and I'll shut up after this. It's really strange that God gave the opener to a priest named Zacharias and Elizabeth. He gave the main event to two teenagers. Ladies and gentlemen, do you realize God just wants you? It's not about you. God wants you just as you are. This summer, I was in Rome. And we walked. Actually, it was Florence, Italy. We walked into this museum to see Michelangelo's statue, David. And we're standing there, first of all, this statue is 17 feet tall. And first of all, you're awkward because, yes, it's a nude statue. <laughs> but as we're looking at stone made into flesh, we find out that Michelangelo picked a piece of marble that no one wanted. 
that was cracked and marred all over the place. And ladies and gentlemen, we're standing there feeling like this statue is going to walk off its pedestal any moment. And I heard the voice of the Lord say, fearfully and wonderfully made. But Michelangelo didn't love that block of marble. I love you. God loves you. God is crazy about you. And every defect and every flaw he can use for the glory of his name. Because this journey is a journey of faith. You guys, I don't know about you. God is the best travel agent I've ever seen. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time. It's time that we as common everyday people realize God wants to use us now, right where we are. Just as we are. No job is secular. No job is secular. No job is secular. Moses stretched out a rod that he had used innumerable times. And God divided the Red Sea. And they didn't even have mud on the bottom of their shoes. Joseph with a slingshot that he'd used innumerable times, took out a nine-foot giant. And again, let me repeat, Jesus, the carpenter, built a bridge from earth to heaven with wood, hammer, and nails. Dear God, I thank you. Thank you so much for the chance that we have to walk with you, to be your people and follow you. Dear God, I pray in Jesus' name that you would help us to take our place in your kingdom on the journey of faith, following you, listening to you, trusting you all the way. In Jesus' name, amen.